Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 321 of X-Lapsed, where uh, we are back to the flagship, which means, um, well, well, it means we're back to the flagship, basically. It, it really doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. Uh, gonna keep today's episode on the shorter side, or at least I'm gonna try to, um, because I have some real-life stuff to attend to, and uh, also there really isn't all that much to say about this issue that wouldn't be repeating a lot of the things that I've already said about this series up to this point. So uh, let's hop right in. This is X-Men Volume 6, Number 7, March 2022, cover date. The Secret Origin of Captain Krakoa is our title. Written by Jerry Duggan with art by Pepe Larraz. Colors, Marty Gracia. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. Edits, Amaro white Sabolski. Cover price, $3.99. This one went on sale January the 26th of 2022. And uh, we open in that especially evil and still unfunny area of New Jersey, where Dr. Stasis is chatting up his animal chimera critters. Now, he offers them a tray of drinks, which they take. And while these uh, drinks are very clearly laced with something, because once they sip, uh, well, these critters start breathing literal fire. Stasis sends them off to confront the X-Men. From here, we get our double-page spread of roll-calling crit. Our characters include Cyclops, Sunfire, Marvel Girl, Sink, Captain Krakoa, Wolverine, that's Laura, X-23, and Dr. Stasis. And uh, Did I imagine Rogue was part of this team? And part of this book? I, mm, I don't know. Back to comics, and we're at the hatchery, and we're closer to the present. Here, Cyclops has just been resurrected. So, okay, okay, I'm starting to understand now. You know, in reading... Last issue, issue 6, I assumed that they had faked Cyclops' death to do the whole Captain Krakoa thing, but looks like he actually really did die, so... Okay. Okay. Anyway, Emma Frost is here to fill him in on what went down. Now, you see, not only did Scott die, but apparently he did so in a very public manner. Therefore, publicly, there's just no way that Cyclops can just be brought back and start running around New York City again without any questions being raised, right? That's not something I'd considered. You know, now that the X-Men are a public team, they are like the, for lack of a better term, like the goodwill ambassadors of Krakoa. They're among, you know, human population. They're kind of an outreach, right? So they're not hidden away on Krakoa anymore, these characters anyway. So their lives and deaths are going to be, you know, more difficult, if not completely impossible, to kind of brush under the rug and hide them coming back. Now, of course... I could go into my fantastical Marvel Universe spoo, you know, and cite other public heroes who have died in very public ways and have still come back without question, but I'll let them have this one. Mostly, mostly. I'll let them have it mostly, because it's still not ideal. And it still requires the readers to do 
a bit of heavy lifting because, I mean, this is comics. There's always a way to explain something like this away uh, where it won't immediately reveal that mutants have conquered death. I mean, if you recall, um, before Ben Urich had his mind wiped, his first question about how mutants are dying and coming back had to do with Jumbo Carnation, who, as far as I can tell, is still in the public eye. So, I mean, Cyclops notwithstanding, they're still Jumbo. Okay, okay, I'll stop poking holes. Well, let's just move along. How's about we find out exactly how Scott died very, very publicly, right? This will require a trip back to Flashback Land, where Stasis's animal pals are running amok in New York. The X-Men, well, four of them, they're there to fight them. And again, I'm almost convinced that Duggan's forgotten all about Rogue. I didn't imagine that, did I? Was that like a mass hallucination or a Mandela effect or something? I don't know. Anyway, upon seeing these beasties, X-23 comments that uh, seeing them is a welcome change from spaceships. So, yeah, amen to that. Uh, we do get a wicked two-page spread here of Cyclops absolutely letting loose with his optic blast here. It's insane. It's it's amazing. It's a, it's a very, very pretty uh, spread here that I wish didn't have narrative captions on it because they kind of distract from the art. I mean, there's a bit in here where Scott, like, blasts into a stoplight, you know, a traffic light, which causes the beam to, like, break into three, each exiting, you know, like, the one comes out the green, the yellow, and the red. It's, it's just really, really cool stuff. Now, Sync hops in, and they go back-to-back blasting eye beams Here, we get a flashback in the flashback of Scott's pitch to join the X-Men from, say it with me, the Hellfire Gala. Can we stop? I mean, the the Hellfire Gala is almost a year ago, and it still comes up every damn issue. Anyway, Scott's pitch to join the X-Men, even though I didn't think he needed a pitch, I thought him and Gene were just there, Uh, his pitch was simply, I am the X-Men, which, yeah, that's hard to argue, isn't it? Now, while the battle continues, Stasis calls in his second-in-command, or his butler, um, a... is he a cat? Is he a bear? Whatever he is, he's called Bornin. And, well, Bornin runs in and uh, swipes a baby from a woman. Now, Cyclops saves the baby, but in the process, he and Bornin do... like that thing from the Ninja Gaiden cutscene from Nintendo, where, like, they kind of clash in midair, and then they both land, and when they do, it's revealed that, like, one of them was gravely injured. You know what I mean? Like, they both land, and then one of them grabs their stomach and, and goes down. Well, it's Cyclops who's hurt here. He had his neck slashed in the clash. A few moments later, an ambulance rolls up, and Cyclops is approached by an EMT. Well, he's dressed like an EMT, and he's uh, brought with him some good news and some bad news. First, he informs Cyclops that his injuries weren't fatal. He then slashes Cyclops' throat a second time with a scalpel, which, you know, will be. Now, as Cyclops lay dying, Stasis, or I mean the EMT, whispers something in his ear. Now, he's telling him to meet him somewhere after he comes back. This is to test whether or not he'll still have his memories of dying, and of course, testing whether or not he will be coming back. Now, we readers know that Cyclops probably won't have these memories, right? Uh, It'll be all, you know, predicated on his last Cerebro backup. But Stasis is still in, like, ruling things out mode, so that's perfectly fine. But it might be worth noting here that Cyclops, um, yeah, he just literally had his throat slit in an alley. He's in an alley, or like on the side of a very deserted-looking road. This death doesn't seem particularly public. At least not to me. I mean, if they wanted to, they could completely get away with this. They could just totter him back to a gate and, you know, oh, he he was fixed over there. He didn't die. He's, he's okay. I was, uh, 
expecting this death to be like widely televised or for him to at least go out like in a blaze of glory like just a big boom not laying all alone on the side of a desolate road or in an alley oh well in fairness I guess it does look like there were like three or four people in the distance who I guess saw a cyclops die but somehow didn't see an EMT slicing his throat <laughs> I don't like Let's go back to Cyclops's well, one of his earlier deaths, because he's died like 15 times at this point. Didn't he have, like, a crazily public death during the Inhumans Terrigan Mist garbage fire that Marvel was trying to push? Like, I mean, it wasn't really him, but the world thought it was him, so that's good enough. I, that was very, very public, and, and he, he came back, and nobody questioned it then, but they're questioning it now. I, I, I don't know, gang. I'm just gonna... We're gonna move on. I'm gonna stop talking about it. Let's shift things over to Sink, who uh, actually is somehow able to access Jean Grey's telekinesis powers during this scene, even though she's off in space. Now, I know what you might be thinking. But no, this isn't an editorial mistake or anything. This is actually a plot point. So I guess we're going to be exploring the limits of Everett's abilities, which I like. I think that that's a pretty cool thing to take a look into. Now, um, Everett, the exertion uh, from, you know... uh, Evoking these powers uh, causes him to pass out So it's pretty intriguing And maybe we'll learn a little bit more at the end of the issue But first let's head back to the Well it's not the present I guess we could say the present-ish Or less far back into flashback land Uh, We're at Krakoa And uh, we got Forge and Jumbo Carnation Presenting Scott with the Captain Krakoa costume Scott and Jean are off to the side Chatting about the uh, the whole Ben Yurik mind wipe thing And Jean assures Scott that she was not the one Responsible for it which makes them both very wary that it was Emma Frost who did it. And, I mean, we've seen Emma before in this issue, but we got to cram Emma into every issue just as much as we can, right? Uh, Jerry gets the Emma bonus in his check this month, so kudos to him. Anyway, if this is the case, uh, Scott suddenly has uh, reservations with the Quiet Council doing telepathic damage control, which, I, I mean, come on. Uh, this is the same guy who looked on as Professor X mind-wiped Everybody and anybody that the X-Men had a run-in with during the 60s So why would that be a big deal now? And also, wasn't it just like five minutes ago Scott didn't have much of a problem with Emma and Empath screwing with his own brother in the Hellions book? But mind-wiping Ben friggin' Yurik is a bridge too far? It's weird where we decide to draw the line when a story calls for you to draw a line in a certain place But um Let's move on. Let's head to the uh, wrap-up of the issue, where we've got Dr. Stasis looking at a display tube with his EMT costume in it. You know, for us kids in the back of the class who hadn't yet put two and two together. From here, we've got uh, not one, but two info pages, and uh, boy, there's a lot of text on these pages. Uh, The first one is uh, Cecilia Reyes uh, shining a light on Everett's sinkability. Now, she suggests that sink can draw powers from those he's synced with before, and I mean, we have seen Everett and Jean training together, so the theory does have legs. Uh, It also threatens to make Everett, you know, the most powerful character in the entire X-Universe. I do like that, um, I do like that this is the angle they're going with it, though, because initially, when we saw it happen in the scene, it almost seemed like they were playing off the fact that, or the possibility, that Everett can draw powers from way, way, way far away. Like, Everett's on Earth drawing from Jean on Arako to uh, to get her powers. But um, that doesn't seem to be the case, at least going by the Reyes theory that maybe it's just residual. 
there, you know, there's some good and there's some bad about that, but uh, it's definitely something that I'm interested in seeing explored. Our second and much denser <laughs> info page is a wall of text. It's about the Earth Araco Relay, or the EAR, or the EAR, I suppose. Now, these are satellites created by Forge to allow telepathic communication between the planets. And the satellites feature Professor X's cloned brain parts, which sounds like it could be kind of sinister. Now, the satellites, they are a known commodity among Krakoans, though nobody knows how they work, so they don't know about uh, there being brain parts in there. Now, it's suggested here that mutant communication is fundamentally telepathic. That's a quote from the page. Mutant communication is fundamentally telepathic. Which, I mean, are we reading ElfQuest? I mean, are the mutants constantly sending to one another? I, I, I feel like telepathic communication happens, but I wouldn't say that it's the fundamental basis of all mutant communication. Maybe this will make more sense as we work our way through, but uh, as for right now, it uh, kind of misses the mark for me. Speaking of missing the mark, uh, next episode, we've got a book that missed its shipping date like two or three times, so we're finally going to get to it. It's Sabretooth number one, one I've been looking forward to very, very much, and one that I was very bummed kept getting pushed back. So um, I'm looking forward to it. It's actually staring me right in my gorgeous hazel eyes right now. So we will get to it uh, next time out. But for now, let's uh, get in and out of this issue just as quick as possible here, because I feel like I could... You guys know I hate repeating myself, but uh, I, I think I could get quite repetitive talking about this issue. Uh, let's talk about something on topic, but a little bit different here. And uh, this is not a problem with the issue itself. It's more a problem with the era in which the issue takes place. And something I want to uh, point at here is, well, Cyclops dying. Just him dying in general here. Let's take the resurrection protoc protocols out of it for a moment here. Let's pretend that those don't exist. Because I feel like that's kind of important when we're talking about lives and deaths to kind of take it as it is here. Just take the resurrection out of it and judge it, I don't know if it's by its own merits, or just by the strength of the death scene, right? So we've got Cyclops, who has been around forever, right? He's been around for a very, very long time. He's faced off against some of the most dangerous things in the entire universe. This is how he dies? Like some... Cat, bear, guy slashes his throat. I, I mean, maybe we can assume that Wolverine's constant nagging that Krakoa is making mutants weak is true and holds water because this is a this is a sad way to go out. Like, are we to believe here that Scott really forgot to protect his neck? Is this the first time he's ever been in a physical altercation? I, I, hmm. This really feels lazy, and uh, more a means to an end than an actual meaningful scene, and it really just makes me wish that the Resurrection era was over. And now, I, I don't remember which episode it was that I said this, because I do talk a lot, in case you haven't noticed. I mentioned uh, that Duggan's work of late is really evoking uh, Hickman's tone, and uh, not in the good way. Duggan's X-Men feel like they're more about ideas than the actual characters. Now, Hickman's writing, you know, uh, there's a lot about Hickman's writing that I liked. But one of the things that I didn't like, and we talked about this at the end of uh, the Inferno discussion, was that his writing is predicated on concept rather than character. And it gives this weird, cold, and sterile feel to all the characters. I mean, 
it feels like we're reading about X-Men standees than actual X-Men. And I don't know if there's a if there's a point to that. Maybe the resurrection protocols are are prohibiting us from getting close to these characters and feeling a, an actual genuine warmth from them. Maybe we're supposed to feel like they're just interchangeable standees, but that doesn't make for a satisfying read. And it also uh, it, it makes the stakes even less than they were before because not only are characters dying, it's just these shells of characters dying. There's just this real standoffish coldness to these characters, and I've I've compared this uh, the Duggan run on X Men to uh, something like Grant Morrison's JLA, and I, and I kind of stand by that because that was more about concepts, that was more about costumes than it was characters. That might be an unpopular opinion, but in my read-throughs of Morrison's JLA, I didn't get a whole lot of warmth. The characters didn't really feel fleshed out. Uh, they felt just like they were there to serve a purpose. And, I mean, everything was kind of end of the world, everything was huge, uh, widescreen, big picture type of stuff, which is kind of what we're getting here in the flagship right now. But also we're getting this coldness and this sterileness, and just, uh, it's really hard to, I don't want to say identify with the characters, because, I mean, how could we identify with the characters, but... There's no warmth, there's no closeness It's like we're being kept at arm's length And I don't know, that just uh, feels totally wrong When it comes to a franchise like the X-Men uh, You know, I, maybe I'm missing something here Maybe this is the intended tone With uh, you know the X-Men being kind of separatist and isolationist on this island Maybe we're supposed to feel like we're being pushed away I don't know, if that's the case, hey, you know, kudos, you, you've done it You've, uh, you've given us the, uh, the meta-take on, on the story But until that's made perfectly clear um, It just feels like a standoffish book that is doing whatever it can to not be welcoming And that's, that's a weird feeling to have about, uh, you know, the main book in our X-Men line I think that's where I'll put a pin in it for now um, I look forward to hearing anybody's thoughts on this issue on the... Uh, I guess two-part Captain Krakoa deal I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, The tone, the themes, agree, disagree I'd, I'd love to hear from you all the same um, I, I probably should mention the art uh, It's it's Pepe Larez And Marta Gracia it's, I mean, it is what it is, it's fantastic It's a very, very gorgeous book It makes the book feel like an event And I mean, it does read like an event book uh, Just like the Morrison JLA did So a gorgeous, gorgeous book, and uh, while I do have my reservations, um, I still think that Volume 6, the Duggan run here, is stronger than uh, the Hickman Volume 5 was, you know. Of course, outside of things like the Crucible and that Mystique issue, which I think I have to say every time we talk about uh, Volume 5, but... That's where I'll leave it. Uh, again, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, you can reach me several different ways if you'd like to discuss it. On Twitter, I'm at Ace Comics. Instagram, 90sXmen. You can send an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head to chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90sXmen. Of course, the complete audio archives are available anywhere you find noise on the internet. And of course, there is the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed. But I think that's going to do it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for joining me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.